Dr. Chrissy Irwin was born in Leesburg, Virginia. She got her bachelor's degree from Longwood University and her veterinary degree from the Virginia, Maryland Regional College of Veterinary Medicine in 2003. She was certified in acupuncture by IVIS in 2008 as a canine rehabilitation practitioner from CRI in 2009 and as a pain practitioner by the IVAPM in 2013. Dr. Irwin received a certification in hospice and palliative care from the IAAHPC in 2017, an advanced certification in Chinese herbal medicine from CIVT in 2018, and did an apprenticeship in Western herbal medicine with Purple Moon Herbs and Studies in 2018. Loudoun County, Virginia is called Holistic Paws Veterinary Services. Dr. Irwin has additional training in pet loss and bereavement as well. Please enjoy this conversation as we discuss her education, moving from traditional small animal practice into holistic practice with emphasis on pain management, hospice care, and the benefits of owning a business with your spouse. Dr. Irwin, thanks for joining me. Thanks for taking the time. Oh, thanks for having me very much. I appreciate it. Happy to so, be here. Great. So where were you born? Um, I was born in Leesburg, Virginia, in, in Loudoun County. And as I see from your website, you have lived there your entire life. Yeah, outside of college um, and vet school. Yes, I've been in Loudoun my whole life. That's got to be, um, well, it's probably a bit unusual, but how is that, how is that being in the one place you're for your entire growing up and for your career? How's it been? Um, it's been very satisfying. Um, my mom was a school nurse at the local middle school. So in some ways I feel like I'm turning into her because I often run into people that I either knew from growing up or past clients. Um, it is a little bit interesting too, because early on in the career, I knew many of the veterinary practices. And so um, as I was a regular doctor and then moved into the more limited practice that I'm doing now, a lot of people already sort of knew who I was um, when I would reach out for support to help them to support their clients or and their patients or to ask uh, questions about them or uh, offer my support. Now it's changing a little bit more. The area has grown a lot more and there's a lot more veterinary practices um, that I haven't had a chance to meet um, the different doctors. So it's still hometown, but it's a little bit different because of the amount of growth that has happened here. Um, cause we're just sure. outside of Washington, DC. So the suburbs yeah. are, are turning more city like as they get further out of um, DC. You bet. Now is your husband from there as well? Yep. Yep. He lived in, um, he and his family lived in Mississippi for his elementary school, but otherwise he was from the same town as me. Cool. So at what point did you decide that you want to be a veterinarian? Um, probably my whole life. Um, if you go through, it's probably the same story as a lot of veterinarians. If you go through um, things that my parents say from kindergarten and stuff like that about what do you want to be when you grow up? It was always a veterinarian. Um, had a short stint through high school where I might have thought to be a music teacher, but that was short-lived. And um, so it's pretty much just been veterinarian the whole time. What, uh, what was your interest in music back then? What's your instrument? I played French horn. Um, so I played all through, uh, middle and high school and college. I tried to keep it up in vet school with the community band, but it was too much, um, on my schedule yeah. and nowhere to practice. I don't think the people in my apartment building would have appreciated that either. Sure. Sure. So anything musically now or no? Um, as an audience member, 
Um, yeah. So I have several clients. I have one who's a professional flautist. So we've gone to see her perform um, with the Maryland Lyric Opera, and that's been really fulfilling. And we enjoy going to um, different concerts and, and shows, whether or not it's classical music or more like rock bandy kind of music. So very much still love it. Yeah. So how'd you get started with the French horn? Uh, my brother played it. And so I just um, think he started on saxophone and then switched to French horn in high school. And I made a lot of my decisions based on what he did. So um, that's that's why. And then I realized that I, I really loved it. You're a legacy player, I guess. Huh? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so where did you uh, go to undergrad? To Longwood College. It's now Longwood University. And um, the same brother who played French horn went there as well. So um, again, when I was trying to make decisions on where to go for college, um, his experiences there kind of encouraged me to go um, to Longwood as well. How far from home is it? Uh, about three hours. So in a tiny town called Farmville, Virginia, um, which is like everything has grown um, since I graduated, but still pretty small, um, small town. Um, in Prince Edward County. So it's, um, it's a very interesting place in terms of civil rights history. And, uh, and then the college itself started as a women's college and then came, um, became a co-ed college in the seventies. So it's it, a lot of interesting little history about the whole area. Yeah. Yeah. So what did you study in undergrad? Uh, biology. And then I, um, tried to have a minor in art history. Um, I, Longwood had a three plus four program. So you could go to Longwood for three years. And then your senior year, if you got into veterinary school or medical or dental or physical therapy school, your freshman year credits would transfer back as your senior year. So I actually only attended for three years, even though I graduated after my freshman year of vet school. So I didn't have enough time to finish the art history minor. And you were still, you were still playing your instrument then? Yes. Wow. You're busy. Yeah. yeah. So, so you went to Virginia, Maryland. Did you have other schools on your radar or was that the only place you were going to apply? Um, I applied to, um, to Virginia, Maryland, and then uh, to Cornell and um, got into Cornell and then had a huge dilemma as to where to go. Um, so I went up and spent a weekend there um, with one of the vet students and I enjoyed the school, but just the distance away from home and, and honestly, the cost of out-of-state tuition versus in-state um, I, um, I stayed at Virginia and I actually, um, communicated with one of the veterinarians on staff as well, um, just to try and make some choices. And so one of the doctors, and of course I'm blanking out on his name right now, um, but he was very communicative and helpful, um, just with talking about choosing schools and, you know, I feel like I made the right decision. Sure. And I suppose now looking back, you know, avoiding all that debt was probably a very smart move. Yeah, because I'm still only halfway through the debt that I have. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so um, I can't imagine how it would be um, had I done the out-of-state tuition. Yeah, yeah. So how many were in your class? Uh, 90. Yeah. So at the time it was um, 60, no, 50 from Virginia, 30 from Maryland, two from Delaware, and then eight from the rest of the country. Wow. Um, and a lot of those out-of-state students were from Pennsylvania, actually, because I think for them it was actually more cost-effective to go out-of-state 
to attack than it was to um, stay in state at Pennsylvania. Sure. <laughs> um, what sort of medicine did you do? Did you think you wanted to practice when you got out? Um, so when I went back and I found um, some notes from my application, like at the time when I was applying to vet school, I was super interested in ultrasound and internal medicine, um, small animal practice always. Um, and then started picking up on interest in acupuncture and herbal medicine while I was in school. Um, didn't know how it would fit in. And then after school, I, I realized I didn't want to continue on in the academic setting in terms of doing an internship or residency. I was ready just to go be kind of my own person for a while. Yeah. And then I really enjoyed family practice, but now doing what I'm doing, um, with hospice care and pain management and, um, holistic medicine. Um, I, I really think that that's the niche for me. Um, I needed those years in regular practice to, to gain the skills to do what I do. Um, yeah. but it, I, I would have, um, I was really burned out when I left regular practice and all the stuff that we're hearing with the not one more vet and, um, the burnout and all of that. I was never wanting to hurt myself or anything, but I was really burned out and in a very unhealthy, uh, state. Um, and so switching from general practice to what I'm doing now was a much healthier place to be as well. Did you have exposure to holistic medicine in school? Um, a little bit. Um, there was a complementary medicine class that sophomores can take. It was a weekend long course um, where um, Dr. Michelle Tillman spoke um, and helped to teach. And so she kind of got me started with wanting to do IVIS for acupuncture. And then Dr. Nellie Beerley talked about um, chiropractic care and then Dr. Chrisman was on staff and he was sort of the, the lone acupuncturist at Virginia Tech at the time. He did equine, does equine yeah. medicine. Um, yeah. So that that got me interested. And there is a, a veterinarian in the area that I secretly admired from afar just by her reputation. And we have since become friends. Um, but she, her practice, because she was probably one of the first holistic people in Loudoun, um, all of those things kind of came together to spark sparked my interest. And then I would say as I was practicing, it was each of my pets, um, what they encountered through end of life or um, develop, developing injuries kind of, one kind of got me into acupuncture, one kind of got me into rehab, one kind of got me into hospice care. And so it's really sort of what they've taught me over the years that has helped um, me to find this path. So what sort of practice did you join then after graduation? Uh, it was a, a, I think, a really good quality general family practice. It was very busy, um, so I was one of probably five veterinarians at the time, and mm -hmm. I um, just sort of hit the ground running um, in terms of there wasn't. And I don't. This isn't meant to be in a mean way at all. It wasn't an expectation. Like I had interviewed at another place where they're like, "Oh, if your appointments are going to be an hour long, and you know, I'll do surgeries with you and all that." the practice that I joined wasn't quite that way where I kind of just hit the ground running with the regular shorter appointment times and things like that. But I did have really great doctors that I worked with that mentored me and, um, probably feel like I, I learned a bit better. Um, it was more challenging. Um, now had I been at the other practice, I might've had a different story, but, uh, it was just a very busy, um, busy time and a lot you of bet. expectation to, to be present. Um, 
even on time off and, and things like that. So that part wasn't so great. How long were you there? Eight years. So you went started your acupuncture training while you were still there? Yeah, my old boss, for his um, fast pace of a practice, my old boss was very supportive. Um, so any of the trainings that I wanted to do, whether or not it was acupuncture or rehab, um, he he supported me in that in terms of at least we split the cost 50-50 in terms of getting the time off and the tuition and the travel. Um, and then even when I was expressing the issues that I was having, just trying to be healthy and, um, keep up and, and where I would see my career moving. He was very, very supportive and letting me work for him part-time for a year while I started my own practice. Um, so that was a huge thing. Uh, cause it would have been, I think too much of a leap just to say I quit and then go forth and try and start my own, uh, thing. The fact that he still, um, respected me enough and saw a need for the community enough to have services like what I offer that he was willing to support me during that time, uh, was pretty invaluable. And I oh, think yeah. I got lucky cause not every boss would have been that way. <laughs> no, not at all. So where was uh, the Ivis course when you took it? In Tampa. Oh, so it wasn't, it wasn't bad. Not a bad travel. No, no. Um, it was kind of nice, um, during the winter months to be able to get a little break, <laughs> um, and, and fall out for the weekends. Um, Were you able to come back to the practice and, and work on patients then? Yep. Yeah. So one of the first patients that I treated during my training was actually a little, um, Shisu puppy that had, um, atlanto-occipital, um, displacement and malformation and, the people, they kept saying, oh, we have this new puppy, we'll bring her to you, but we're waiting for the insurance to kick in because we don't want this to be pre-existing. And then they brought me this dog that was like this limp ragdoll. She couldn't walk. She could yeah. eat and drink. And um, and that was about it. And so I sent them to neurology for diagnosis. And obviously, surgery wasn't a great option for her. Um, so they let me be use her as my acupuncture case study. And, mm -hmm. um, and so within a couple of treatments, she could actually walk and um, run in her own way. And, yeah. um, they, you know, neurology was understandably very cautious about her having to wear like a neck brace and really just have to be like a dog in a bubble. And they're like, well, that's no life. And, um, so they let her do her own thing. And she actually lived, I think to be about 10 or 12 years old, um, not normally mobile, but mobile up until, uh, the end of her life. And I did not acupuncture her throughout her whole life. Um, probably for about six months. And then we're like, Oh, she's fine. We're good. And, you know, and, and that was it. <clears throat> were you still at the, uh, at the practice when you started rehab then? Yes. Yes. So, um, at the time it was thought that maybe I would just sort of create a rehab program within the clinic. Um, yeah. and then obviously that changed paths as, um, my career went on and, and, and whatnot. And, um, so yeah, I did, I was probably there for a couple of years before leaving. And so we did rehab light, like we didn't have treadmill or anything, but I would do therapeutic exercise and laser therapy. Um, almost always will do acupuncture with the other things for the rehab patients. So I did do um, the rehab with them and post-surgicals, um, geriatrics, um, things like that while I was still there. Nice. So now you're going to go part-time, start your own start your own practice. So what did that involve your practice? Um, so with holistic pause, um, 
part of my self-development and creating a business um, model that would have been under my old bosses was just like that eureka moment of if I'm willing to do a business plan and all of these things and I'm unhappy in general practice and burned out, why don't I take this and try and make it my own so that I have my own trajectory for the rest of my career? And so it started out um, in part because a lot of the acupuncture and rehab patients were hurting themselves coming into the practice um, Mm -hmm. in and out of the car. Um, Mm. And so I wanted to be able to offer house call services. Um, Also, too, and my old boss was very supportive of me doing this. I I had felt throughout my whole career that home euthanasias were very important. um, But that would often mean getting to people's house at 10 o'clock at night because you have to finish your patient care at the office before you can go do the euthanasias. And so really, I started doing um, in-home euthanasia, kind of hospice light. Um, I was starting Mm -hmm. to learn about hospice care during that time. And then the acupuncture and uh, laser therapy, um, those kinds of things in the beginning. So I think I did two or three days a week with holistic pause. And then I worked at my old um, practice for uh, two to three days a week uh, for about a year. Uh, And then I finally said, okay, you know, this time for me to to fledge out and do my own thing. So you're working out of your car? Yeah, in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. And did you have an assistant or were you just on your own? Um, mostly on my own. So um, my husband, Jeremy, has worked um, in the veterinary field since we were in high school. We met as kennel assistants. So um, he's not licensed, but he knows a lot about how the practices work and um, understands about how to do a lot of things. So he would come out and help me when I needed it. Otherwise, it was mostly me. And then a couple years into it, we were able to hire a really wonderful rehabilitation technician called Casey, and she's been with us ever since. Oh, that's great. And your husband manages the practice. Yes. So he worked at a local clinic um, until we felt like we were busy enough. Like I couldn't keep up with the phone calls, plus drive around, plus see patients and things like that. So we finally took the leap and he quit his old work um, to come on and um, do the management for holistic calls. So strictly still mobile? No, we, um, so the mobile thing was really brilliant for a few years and then, um, our area driving in the beginning was pretty easy and now it's just mm-hmm. getting busier and busier. Um, so seeing five patients a day, which doesn't sound a lot, would easily take eight to 10 hours um, yeah. with driving. And so, um, and also too, it's one thing, I mean, I, yes, I should be paid for my time, but it's one thing for me to not necessarily get paid while I'm traveling. Um, mm-hmm. The paying your staff when they are traveling, you it's, it's sure. more um, economical and efficient for them to be seeing patients instead of driving. Yeah. Um, so we did a um, we wanted to buy a facility with the intention of it being um, maybe fifty fifty house call for those who need it, and then the rest for those who can come in. Um, we actually did a crowdfund um, to help um, get money for the mortgage to get the the down payment, and our, our center opened. I think four years ago, four or five years ago, yeah. probably four. And, um, and so we continued that model with um, about 50-50. And then with COVID, I would say it's been about 75% in office and 25% house call just because um, we had a lot of staffing changes during COVID because um, mm-hmm. our coworkers have children and schools closed and they couldn't 
come to work. Um, so I needed to be able to see as many patients as I could. And so um, having people come in and, and then the safety issue. It's one thing going to people who've known you for a long time to go to their house and know that they're going to try and keep us safe. Um, in the beginning with not knowing what was going on, going in with strangers was a little bit trickier. Um, and so we'll see now that the world is sort of becoming a bit more normal, um, how the, the proportion of in-house versus house call goes. Yeah. So <clears throat> your in-house things, they're just, you're doing your holistic care, you're doing your rehab, pain management, that sort of thing. No surgery, no regular medicine. No. Um, so we don't have a surgery suite. I do have a tiny mm -hmm. lab. We can send um, blood work out. Um, we have relationship with local doctors um, to use their x-ray machine if needed, but I try to send them back. I, I really am trying to partner with the family doctors and mm -hmm. be an extra set of eyes and ears. Like if we have to go do house call or um, maintain that trust that if I find something that just seems different with the patients to send them back um, for the workup. Um, to try and create a, a partnership with them versus a fear of us just running away with patient care and not keeping them in the loop. Sure. It's a big advantage just to do what you do and for them not to worry about that. Mm -hmm. So where do you most, most of your clients come from? Are they word of mouth? Do they come from referral or what's the split? Um, probably all of the above. I'm getting out of general practice long enough now that a lot of the patients that I had as a, a regular doctor have passed away, but I do still have a few that I saw early in my career. So that's pretty cool. Um, ones that I saw 17 years ago as puppies or whatever are still alive. Um, and I can help with their, um, end of life care. Um, the clinics that still do know me, I get quite a few referrals directly from them. And then a lot of it, I think, is also word of mouth through like Facebook groups and clients sharing. Um, we recently had a client start. And then a couple of weeks later, her two neighbors came in with their dogs, um, for care. So I think it is a fair bit of, um, just word of mouth and, and repeat customers as well. Um, we'll still get calls for euthanasias. Like I euthanized a pet five years ago and they have called me when it's time for the next one. So, um, it is nice to get a little bit of continuity and checking in with people over time. Uh, Cause you don't get that as much, um, as if you were like the family doctor. You bet. Yeah. So is, is there a part of every one of your work days on the road or how do you, how do you parse your time out? As it is right now, I'm mostly on the road just on Mondays and then I'm in the office Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Uh, sometimes I'll, if I have to do a house call on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I try and do it my first appointment of the day now and then just be in the office for the rest of the day. Cause it used to be again, pre COVID. Um, I guess this is one nice thing. Not, I wish COVID had never happened, but organizationally, I used to be in the office for a couple, go on the road, come back, be in the office. And that was just really hard to change gears and stressful yeah. to try and make sure I'm back in the office on time and, and things like that. So it has worked out a little bit better being on the road and people's work schedules. A lot more people are working from home now, so I can do the house call first in the morning. Um, I didn't, got ahead of myself. I want to go back. You got certified in, in pain management and then herbs. And, mm -hmm. it, and it looks like you, you did Chinese herbs and Western herbs in the same year, which is incredible. Well, Chinese herbs started um, a while before the Western herbs. It was just distance learning and I wasn't very good at keeping up with it. And so it ended up yeah. being that it finished at the same time. Um, the Purple Moon um, apprenticeship that I did was an in-person. Um, I think it was five or six weekends 
you know, sort of how Ivis for acupuncture um, went yeah. down to Outer Banks and did my class. And that was a lot easier to keep up with because you knew you had to be gone to do the class. Um, whereas with the CIVT was a phenomenal program and I learned a bunch. It's really hard to have the discipline to pop online and, and do your stuff while um, working. Um, so CIVT took a bit longer than it was supposed to. That's kind of why it ended up at the same time as, as the Purple Moon. Sure, sure. Um, and Purple Moon was nice and convenient for you, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's in the Outer Bank, so about a four or five hour drive um, mm-hmm. for me. And um, and it was it's a small group um, setting, and so it was really nice. Um, you look forward to seeing that group of people um, each time you go down, and we still have good rapport and Facebook, um, a special face group, Facebook group for the people who have taken the internship, so you can keep in touch with them. And even if we don't all live in the same area, do you um, <clears throat> for for your patients? Do you you do use both Chinese herbs and Western herbs for them? Yeah. So there are certain ones. Um, I'm sure anybody who does herbal medicine probably feels that they're the eternal student. So there are um, some formulas that like Chinese medicine, if a formula clicks and I use it and it just feels like it's the right one um, and it works beautifully. And then sometimes if I'm having a hard time pinpointing the Chinese um, pattern or uh, if I'm trying to balance multiple co- comorbidities, the Western herbs sometimes are a little bit nicer because I can just plug and play um, in terms of using the individual ingredients. So uh, probably use the Chinese herbs a little bit more, um, but the Western herbs have been a really nice tool for um, arthritis management and um, respiratory disease. Um, GI, those would be places where I use them a lot. And you're making custom formulas in your office? Yes. Do you do that at the time of the patient visit or do you take some time and think about it and put together a formula? If I can, if I feel like I can plug and play well enough based on what I have, I try to send them home with it. Um, but then if I am not quite sure I need to do some extra reading or research, I'll um, try and get them started with something knowing that I may end up changing it um, after I have a chance to have a think on it. Yeah. Um, and then I want to talk about your bereavement training. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty important given the hospice and pain management care mm-hmm. that you do, but, but talk about what was involved with that. So around 2008 to 10, somewhere in there, um, I was interested in uh, learning more about hospice. And so I attended a hospice and palliative care conference in California. It was uh, organized through the Nikki Hospice Foundation for Pets. Mm-hmm. And um, met some very interesting people there, one of which is Colleen Ellis, who uh, is an amazing lecturer, and she has worked in the human funeral industry and then ended up starting the first pet funeral home in Florida, um, in the whole country, but it was in Florida. And uh, I learned about a class that she was offering um, with Dr. Alan Wolfelt, who um, he has a Center for uh, Loss and Life Transition in Colorado, and Colleen headed up the Pet Loss um, uh, Companioning course. So Jeremy and I took that class in, I think, around 2010. And it was like the most eye-opening weekend. Um, I think only Colleen can really talk about death for three or four days in a row. And you just look forward to hearing more. And it's upbeat and it's happy, even though it's so heavy. And uh, through that class, then I met Dr. Amir Shannon, who's the um, founding um, creator of the International Association for Animal Hospice and Palliative Care. So I got to know him. Jeremy and I got to know him and his wife um, during that class. And then... um, 
I also around that same time did um, the counseling uh, weekend seminar with the Association for Pet Loss and Bereavement as well. And so just trying to really understand best how I can help support clients during um, end of life. And, and honestly, it really has just kind of it's not really just end of life anymore. It's really any time people come in and they're afraid. Um, they've had a rough diagnosis. They've had um, a lot of fear about what's coming down the road. Uh, maybe this is bringing up past loss experiences or whatever. It really, I don't know. I think a lot of veterinarians, especially the holistic veterinarians, are relatively empathic to begin with, um, empathetic um, to begin with. Um, but being able to have words to try and identify and, and um, normalize what people are going through has been a huge game changer in terms of um, supporting them. I would guess that it's yeah. given you tools that you wish you maybe you had in private, in private, in, in your general practice career. Yeah. Um, one of the conversations from my general practice that haunts me is a family who came in their little Dachshund had been hit by a car and was basically eviscerated. Like none of the intestines were, inside the body anymore. And, you know, the little dog needed to be euthanized and the people were just wailing and so sad and, um, very, very, um, raw and almost primal and how they were responding. Cause they had witnessed a horrible accident. Um, you know, pure adrenaline getting their dog to the office. And all I could think do when I was with them was it's okay. It's okay. And it wasn't okay. You know, there was nothing okay about what was happening. And I, I wish that I had had the, the words to help them to, to, say, I am so sorry for what is happening. And I identify, you know, I know that this is one of the worst days in your life, but we need to focus on your dog right now and help to end that suffering. And then we can figure out how better to help you. Um, and, but it, my conversation with them at the time didn't go that way. Um, I mean, I think it's understandable. It was a high stress time for everybody, um, because that poor yeah. dog, um, but yes, I do wish I had had some of these, um, trainings and thoughts and experiences, uh, but that's kind of life too. I mean, we hopefully get better with time and, and we learn and we develop tactics with time. You bet. You bet. So <clears throat> you kind of hinted around do you, uh, earlier. You're, you're happy with where you're at now. Yes. Yeah. So, um, even during, you know, this last year of plague and all of the stress and trying to keep up and, um, revamping, just trying to keep the souls on our ship alive and, and well, and helping them to see, um, you know, see God or do their transition when the time came. Um, I am very grateful for what I do and what Jeremy can help with doing with the practice. Um, I'm much more fulfilled. People hear that I do hospice care and euthanasia and they're like, oh, you know, that must be horrible. Um, but I'll be honest, like one year of holistic pause was way more satisfying than eight years of general practice. Um, even though euthanasia is sad, being able to help families and to do it well and to give the animal the best exit that we can uh, is extremely satisfying. And then it's also great, too, when they come in and they don't walk well or they're really sick and you start acupuncture, you start herbs or you adjust their pain medicine appropriately and and they live longer. So. Um, so it's not always just satisfaction through euthanasia, but satisfaction in helping these animals live better lives too. You bet. So what's it been like working with your spouse for so long? Oh, it's fine. We, um, we worked together all through college, uh, high school, college, vet school. And then, um, and then for the last five or six years, probably with holistic pause, it's good. The only bad thing is that you know, you check the work phone or whatever. It's hard to not be working. Um, yeah. but we have a good rapport. Um, we, I don't know, 
we're friends for a really long time. We enjoy each other's company. Um, so it's nice. Um, and he also understands, like I have had other colleagues that have had spouses that never worked in the veterinary field and it put a lot of strain. Cause I think sometimes when people, um, don't experience what we experience on a day-to-day basis, it's hard to understand like how nuts our job can be, um, yep. and how emotionally invested we get in things. And so he gets that, which is just really, um, helpful too. Um, so it's been good. There's a lot of potential upsides to having a spouse in the, in your field and, and in the practice mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. For sure. I mean, people are always amazed. I, I do as well. And clients are always amazed. You know, someone will say, I just, I can't believe that, you, that you guys can work together, but you know, I appreciate all the advantages that you just listed. And, and, um, even though it, I think you own your own business and you go home and you, yeah, you, answer, you look at the practice email or maybe you Hannah, have a phone call when you're away from hours, but it's just nice to be able to share the, share that with someone as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think, I don't know how it is for you, but I think it bonds people to us too. Um, mm-hmm. When they know like, okay, well, if I'm unavailable, it, it makes it better if they're talking to Jeremy because they know he's my husband and um, they're a little bit more immediately at ease. Um, I don't know. It's just a little bit closer step removed for me versus, you know, just not like just an employee, but, you know, somebody who works for you, but isn't as invested in what the practice is doing as what your spouse would be. You bet. And it's also really great that he's had the training that you've had and yeah. and can speak to clients in the same language that you would. Yeah. That's, you know, that's just to have someone like that to be able to talk to people on the phone is just I- incredibly a benefit. Yeah. I think it was a good decision that he and I both did the Pet Loss Companioning course together because I'll hear him talking to people and he still uses after all these years, many of the words that we learned from Colleen. So um, that was huge. That's great. Okay. Before I let you go, we have to talk about, you've got a couple of upcoming seminars for CIVT. Yes. Yes. So what are you going to talk about? Uh, communication. So a lot of it's going to build on the, this last little bit. Um, so communication, some of it's going to be coming from the slant of hospice and palliative end of life care. But uh, I think as holistic practitioners who, as I'm assuming will be the audience, not just end of life care people, um, I still think as holistic practitioners, we end up with clients that either have animals that are shouldering an awful lot of different comorbidities. Um, so they're, um, fragile and the clients are more invested and are emotionally a little bit more fragile. Um, and then a lot of our patients end up segueing, I think, into end of life care as well. So I'm hoping to be able to offer some tips about why it can be hard to, um, support these individuals, um, how we can do it better, um, how we can take care of ourselves better through it. Um, and just at least give out some little pearls that each person can take away and, and, and use them um, when they're faced with a situation where they wish they had the words to know what to say. Chrissy, perfect. I'm, I'm so much looking forward to your seminars. I deal with all those types of situations every day, and I can always use more help. And I know that a lot of other people probably can too. Yeah. Thanks for your time. It was great talking to you, and I can't wait to... Uh, to be present for your seminar. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This podcast is made possible through the generous support of the College of Integrative Veterinary Therapies. ZIVT provides world-leading education in natural medicine, including three accredited postgraduate qualifications, industry-recognized certifications, and a wide range of evidence-based courses and webinars delivered by qualified and experienced practitioners. By bridging cutting-edge science and tradition, 
CIVT helps you to expand your treatment options to tackle your most challenging cases. And whether you're a veterinarian, veterinary technician or nurse, animal health professional, or someone who wants to learn more, they have the right course for you. Investigate their offerings at civtedu.org. If you're enjoying this podcast, we'd appreciate if you'd take the time to tell a friend and to give us a favorable rating on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again for your support. We'll see you next time.